going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to go to Titus 3 today. Um, and chapter 3, just because the Lord really laid it on my heart as I was looking back over the book of Titus, I'm super excited um, to talk about this today. We're going to talk about the idea of grace for good works. You know, if you've, if you've been a believer for any amount of time and you've spent time in the church and, you know, you've heard sermons a lot of times, or you're reading through the New Testament maybe, a lot of times we see those two ideas, right? Grace and good works. And it seems like they're kind of fighting all the time, right? Sometimes you'll have people say, hey, well, you know, don't tell me about the good works I need to do. There's grace. I don't need to worry about that. And then on the other hand, you'll have some people say, well, listen, you, you've got to be doing some good works. That, that you can't, it can't just all be talk about grace. What about the things that God wants you to do? And we kind of have this thing and it goes back and forth. And, you know, a lot of things are like that in the New Testament. Sometimes you'll see two different things and you'll read one and you'll say, okay, I get that. Then you read the other one and you'll say, wait a second, how does that work with this? And the Lord will set up things that are a little bit, there's some tension there to them. But it's always important to remember that those things are there for a reason and we have to have both things, right? And that's why I love, we're going to go through this whole chapter today in Titus 3 and it's going to show us how grace and good works actually aren't fighting. The Lord gives us the one so that we can do the other. They go together and they kind of feed each other almost, which is really exciting. So it's nice because this is a thing that I've always struggled with. And whenever you have a question, you go to the Word and, and you see, oh, look, the Lord already took care of that for me. So we're going to go through the entire chapter in Titus. And since it's a bigger section, what I'll do is I'll read each portion before we talk about it. So we'll kind of break it up a little bit like that. So let's turn to Titus uh, chapter 3. And I'm going to start off with the uh, first two verses. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. All right. Now we're going to have to get a little bit of background because already we're talking to somebody and we've jumped into the middle of a conversation. So remind who? Who, who is Paul? Because Paul is the writer of the, the book of Titus. Who is Paul writing to here? Well, this is a letter from Paul to a guy named Titus. Titus was a pastor in a church um, in a really difficult area. Uh, the, the, the culture of the people there was a little bit hard, a little bit brash. If you read the early um, chapters of Titus, Paul even kind of brings out these secular sources and he says, yeah, even their own people say these people are kind of crazy. They're loud and angry and they're just, they're good for nothing. What are you going to do with them? Now, of course, the Lord can do something with them and that's what the book of Titus is for. It's Paul instructing Titus, here's how you're going to minister to these people and the things I want you to remind them of. And because this church was filled with this loud, kind of profane culture, one of the big things that Paul talks about is, hey, you kind of need to remind them, here's the way that God wants you to act. Not just however you used to act, but God's going to change your heart and your ways a little bit. And he instructs, he's kind of telling Titus, hey, I want you to keep reminding. That's a word you see. Like if you look in the Greek, a lot of times when Paul is saying, hey, remind them, the, the actual sense is like, hey, keep on reminding them. Don't quit reminding them. And one of the things he's supposed, Titus is supposed to continue reminding them is to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient so they can be ready for every good work. So we see here that these Christians that are in this place, they're supposed to be known for their submission, for their kind of deference almost, for, for their obedience to any proper authority that God has set up over them. Now, this can, this can cover a lot of things, right? This could be maybe their church authority, right? These aren't, these, he's saying, hey, 
and remember, Titus was not necessarily, it seems like from the text, he wasn't an older pastor. So he might have been having some trouble with this. You know, maybe he comes in and these people say, all right, here's this kid. Now, now what's he going to tell us? And, and maybe in this culture, right, there was a little bit of harshness and a little bit of anger that they would bring. And, and Paul said, hey, you need to remind them that's not the way you're supposed to respond to spiritual authority, right? Not that the spiritual authority is supposed to come in and say, you listen to me and you do this or that. That's not the heart we're supposed to have, right? That's not Jesus' heart. But at the same time, when we have a spiritual authority, a pastor or a leader that's over us, our heart should be humble. We should be ready to be taught, right? We should be coming expecting that the Lord is going to use this flawed person, right, to, to teach us. So it could apply to spiritual authority. I think it also applies, and it's pretty clear here, it's talking about also your earthly authority, right? That Christians shouldn't be the ones that were marked by our anger towards our, spirit, our our earthly authority who are marked by our rebellion or our loud talking or just, oh, yep, there's the Christians. They're out yelling again. That shouldn't be what we should be known by. And this was difficult in, in Crete. That's where Titus was ministering because the Cretans had this loud, brash culture. They were the loud talkers. They were the brawlers. They were the people that you're always like, oh, there's the Cretans. They're yelling about something again, right? And it's also difficult in our culture. Right? We come from, we're Americans. What are Americans like? Freedom and rights and privileges, right? Those are all important to us. We just had July 4th. We shoot off loud fireworks and yell about how excited we are about those things, right? And that's not all bad at all. But anytime that we come to the Word and the Word says, hey, be careful, and it says something that kind of corrects our culture a little bit, we need to pay attention, right? That's true anywhere. You go over to Nepal, right, where we, we sometimes our church in Lynchburg would send uh, missionaries. There's some things that the Bible says that corrects their culture. It says, no, this isn't the way that you can be. And it's the same thing in our culture. And I think one of the things that is important for us to realize is that we can lose our witness. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, hey, don't act in such a way that you can't go and do the good works God has you to do because of the way you've been acting. We can lose our witness sometimes because we've been pursuing a good thing instead of the best thing that the Lord wants us to pursue, right? So if we're out there and we're known by being loud and angry and disputing with people, well, okay, sometimes we're even doing that in service of a good thing, right? There's plenty of earthly good things that we could be angry about. Trust me, sometimes I think about them and then I turn Twitter off. Um, but also, we could be losing our witness in the way we pursue those things. And, and the best thing, Paul says, is that you be ready for good works. So if we're off doing something else that's keeping us for preparedness for good works, that's going to be a problem. And that's the reminder he's giving them. If we allow opposing these earthly authorities to be the focus of our lives, man, if we could just fix this problem, or if we get rid of that person, or if, if this, and this is, we think sometimes in big national things, right? We think, yeah, it's, we're, yeah that's right, I need to not be mad at the president. You know, in my life, a lot of times, this is really local. Do you ever know somebody who's like, their whole life is about changing? I'm just going to say something, and I, I promise it's not about you, so if the Lord, I'm sorry. You know somebody whose their whole life is about changing the school board or something like that? You know what I mean? One person, they're just consumed with this one tiny little thing, but that's their obsession. I, I've got to fix this thing in my town, or if we put a stop sign here, or whatever it is, you know? And it just almost becomes comical because they're so into it, and it, it becomes their whole world. And I think sometimes that's the kind of thing we have to be careful of, right? We know, hey, I'm not supposed to, like, go run out and rebel against the government as a believer. We're aware of that. But I think sometimes these small things that are closer to home are hard for us as well. Because in all things, we're supposed to be focusing, Paul says, on the good works that the Lord has for us. And we don't want to do anything that's going to impede that. That's why he says, hey, don't be out there speaking evil of people. Speaking evil of people. 
So like now the whole internet needs to go away. I just need to turn off that little Wi-Fi button on my phone and just leave it be, right? Because don't, don't be doing that. Don't be focusing on quarreling. He says be gentle, which is a word that's hard for us sometimes to, to square, right? Well, gentle, what does that mean? Well, I mean, we can look at Jesus, right? How did Jesus behave? Gentle didn't mean Jesus never said the truth, but the way that Jesus said the truth, right, was always so different sometimes than the way we want to bring the truth, right? And he says show perfect courtesy, toward all people. So the idea is, hey, the way that we act out in the world, we're almost, we're making a way, we're preparing people to receive the good things that the Lord wants to do through us. And if instead we're preparing people to be defensive against us and to kind of shut down and say, oh man, wow, that he's very angry. He's so angry about that. I don't want to hear what he has to say. Then we're kind of preparing the ground in a bad way and we're going to make it harder for the things that the Lord wants to do through us. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So, I love that verse because it's a constant reminder that that's the goal that God has for our lives. Well, if you could say, hey, what, is, what should a Christian's life look like, right? Because there's a government here and there's things going on here. What should my life look like? Paul's saying, hey, you should pray that you get to have a quiet life. Well, why should I pray that I get to have a quiet life? Because then you can do all the good things that God wants you to do and no, nothing, nobody's going to bother you. And remember, the world that Paul was speaking to, it was not an easy world to live in. The government that they were dealing with, this was not, you know, man, I, you know, they're taxing me a lot. This was a government where you were praying that hopefully someone wasn't going to come and persecute you for following Jesus, right? That's what your prayers were. And Paul says, hey, pray for that. Pray that hopefully the government's over there and, and you just don't see that much of them because we've got so much work to do for the Lord that we just don't want to be interfered with. So pray that you could have a peaceful life. Pray for your leaders that they would just kind of forget about you. <laughs> it kind of seems to be what, what Paul is encouraging because that quiet life is where all of a sudden all this growth and all these good works can, can happen from. So that's the encouragement here. And the idea behind when it says that we're supposed to be ready for every good work, right? We're preparing things, right? And we're kind of getting things ready. It's almost the idea of like, there's like an athlete kind of idea to it, right? Think about how, and this is so kind of sad now because recently, you know, the Olympics got postponed, right? So I was reading in the news about how all these athletes, imagine what that's like. You've been preparing, not just for four years, but you've been preparing for 20 years, this huge amount of your life, and you're ready, right, for what? Sometimes it's like five minutes, right? You're going to run one 40-yard sprint. You're going to swim this one event. You're going to throw something really far one or two times, right? And you've been preparing and preparing and not just doing things. You've been not doing things. You're not eating things you like for a long time, right? It's kind of unimaginable to me, but it's, that's what you're doing, right? You're, you're putting all your focus and effort so you can do this one thing. And that's kind of the sense in a way behind when it says you're being ready for every good work. He's saying, hey, we're going to remove quarreling. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to remove speaking evil of people. We're going to remove, you know, rudeness so that when the time comes for us to do what we see the opportunity, the Lord opens a door, we're ready. We've been preparing that for that moment like a runner. We're like, okay, I'm, I'm all ready. I've done all my training. And now at this moment, I can act as quickly and as, as effectively as I would hope to be able to. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I think, explains this really well. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, so far, I'm going to take a little break, right? Verse 8 and 9, that's the grace part, right, of our salvation. We got saved, why? Because we worked really hard and we prepared ourselves and we were ready and then God came and just kind of finished the work. I don't know about you, that wasn't how it was for me, right? That's not how salvation works. It was just the Lord blessing us. He, he does all the work and we just accept it, which is amazing, right? Okay, grace, right? There's grace. But then look in the second half of this passage, what happens after that? Verse 10 says, For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're going to see this all throughout this chapter of Titus, the idea that God gives us grace. He, he blesses us. He gives us salvation and sanctification and all these amazing big long words, right, that are so hard to wrap our minds around. And then the reason that happens after that happens, God continues to give us grace so that we can do the things that he wants us to do. Things that he even knew about before we knew them, right? Have you ever had that where you, you come into a situation and you realize, oh, wow, the Lord has been doing a whole thing over here. And then I just kind of walked up and God put me right in the position to do the thing he wanted me to do. You know, that's happened sometimes with me. I'll have a friend, maybe where the Lord is leading them slowly, slowly to himself. But I didn't come on the scene until years and years of all this preparation happened. And then you come up and they ask you a question, you have a conversation, and this huge moment happens for them, and you realize, wow, God, like, you knew I was going to show up, but you were doing all this work beforehand. That's what that sense is in, in Ephesians. That's how our good works that the Lord has us to do. That's kind of how they work. They're grace, just like our salvation was. There's something the Lord's doing through us. And so we want to be really careful that we're not behaving in some fleshly way that's going to put a hindrance in between that, right? You, all, you guys all know our neighbors and our coworkers and stuff, they kind of watch us, huh? And sometimes they have a better idea of what a Christian is supposed to be like than we do. You ever had somebody catch you on that where you're, you're doing something or you're behaving a certain way and you'll have somebody say, hey, I thought Christians were supposed to do such and so. And you're like, well, what do you know about being a Christian? And then the Lord kind of rebukes you and says, hey, they're, they're kind of right, though, huh? Like they, they may not read the Bible as much as you, but they kind of know what you're supposed to be doing. They're, they're keeping tabs on you, right? And people are watching. They're, they're looking to see, hey, this grace of God thing that people talk about, does it really make all that much of a difference in how you act, you know, day to day? <laughs> or is it just a thing that you just talk about on Sunday and things like that? People do pay attention. And that's an important place where the Lord can do a good work through us is our relationship to others. And we don't want to mess that up by these, these behaviors. And, and I'm sure that maybe this was a response even. Paul was even saying, hey guys, I've heard that you guys, when, you, when you've got these Cretan, this Cretan congregation, they leave Sunday and they go back out and they're just kind of acting like Cretans still, and that's kind of making a mess, right? They're just doing their normal thing, and it's keeping the gospel from moving forward. So we want to be very careful about that. So now Paul kind of sums up in the next couple of verses this behavior that we used to be in. He says, hey, this is how we used to be, but we don't want to stay in that. We want to allow the grace of the Lord to change us. So starting in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
So this is probably everybody's favorite passage in Titus, right? It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's such a cool kind of summary of all the amazing things that the Lord has done in our lives through his grace, right? It starts out at the beginning. It says, hey, without God's spirit, without what God's doing in your life, you were kind of a mess. Everybody's kind of a mess, right? And Paul always is so good at painting this horrible picture. He says, hey, we all used to be foolish. And I love that sometimes the list, you know how Paul makes these lists of sins, And I always love these lists because there's things in them that you're like, wow, yeah, that's bad. I'm so glad you do like a Pharisee thing. I'm glad I'm not like other men. And then one weird one will come up and you'll say, oh, that's bad too. I I thought that was kind of okay. I didn't think that was a big deal. And foolish kind of is one of those for me. I'm like, foolish? That's a big deal? It's number one on the list. I thought foolish was just kind of like, oh, well, whatever. But no, apparently behaving in a way that is foolish or kind of just not in in a wise way is something that Paul said, hey, we used to do that, but now... God's spirit, is God's spirit a spirit of foolishness? No, it's a spirit of wisdom, right? The Bible says. So Paul says, don't be acting that same way that we used to act when we were just doing whatever seemed good to us. No, we're going to act wisely. We don't want to behave in that old way. We used to be disobedient and led astray and slaves to passions and pleasures. And I love passing our days in malice and envy. Now we all laugh, but haven't you ever had at least most of a day where it was kind of passed in malice and envy? You all know what I'm talking about, right? You just realize, wow, that whole day disappeared, and I was just mostly hating people that whole day. Maybe, maybe people didn't know, but inside I was like, man, I've been working on my malice and envy today. You know what I mean? Um, that's, that's bad. You shouldn't be laughing. Um, but, but no, we, we've all gone through that, right? We're just we're consumed by something. And maybe it's not even a person you know. It's just a bunch of people that you think about, right? Or, or whatever it is that gets your, your goats, as we say in my family. Who's, who's getting your goats today? But it, whatever that thing is, Paul is saying, hey, that's how we used to be. We used to be filled. This, our life was filled with this kind of behavior. And we need to remember, we don't want to forget that not only is that how we used to be, right? Not just them people. Hey, that's how our lives used to be. And we need to always be asking the Lord, Lord, is there any way that I'm kind of moving back in that direction in my life? Am I letting the enemy kind of come back into some of those places in my life that are pulling me back towards that way that I used to be, right? This is a, it's a sad state when you look at verse three. That doesn't, you don't look at that and say, yeah, that seems fine. You go, oh, that's really bad, right? So we never want to be taking steps back in that direction. We want to be on guard against anything in our life that would pull us back towards those, those attitudes or those behaviors that Paul says, hey, we ourselves were once, right? We used to be. And I, it, that includes the little things. In fact, sometimes for me, those little things are the things I need to focus more on, right? We all know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you can make a big list of the things that we know. Yep, totally a no-no. We're not going there. We're not doing that. And we are good to each other in some ways. We watch each other carefully, and that's okay. That's not always bad. I would love, you know, goodness, if one of us fell into some huge sin, I would hope that everybody would say, hey, brother, like, let's not be doing that. Like, that's a dangerous thing. Don't go over there. But sometimes the little ones are ones that we have to be keeping a short account with the Lord on, right? If foolishness is a thing that I used to be doing and I'm not supposed to be doing anymore, well, then I need to keep a really short account with the Lord and say, okay, Lord, was I foolish today? <laughs> and the Lord will remind me and I'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was pretty foolish, right? Or, or whatever it is, envy or laziness, right? Things that are just, they seem so small at the time. But what Paul is saying is, hey, these sins, they're not just things that hurt us. If they hurt our ability to do the stuff that God wants us to be doing, then we're always wanting to be careful to prepare that ground, to make sure there's never one of these small things that creeps in and begins to slowly kind of take over. You know, I personally, I'll just be honest, laziness is one of those. That's that's a sin that I struggle with sometimes. 
And so if you've struggled with laziness for a long time, you know, hey, that's a thing that you can't, you can't always give it a little place in the corner of the house. It's got to be a thing you push all the way out. If you give yourself a little place where, well, but it's Saturday. Yeah, well, Saturday extends over into Sunday, and then pretty soon we've had a pretty bad week, right? So that's kind of how these things are. You watch and you make sure. Because Paul is explaining to Titus that Christians used to be this way, right? That's how everybody is. My little children did not come out being great. They came out a little bit closer to verse 3 than to verses 4 through 7. <laughs> that's, just how, that's just how things are, right? We, we, my, my little daughter, we, we, we're starting to learn now how to clean things. And it's amazing how you just, I've been taught my whole life that human beings are totally, you know, we're totally sinful and we start that way. And I nod my head and say, oh, yes. But then when you have a daughter who you say, hey, let's clean this up. And she says, I don't like cleaning. I'd like to sit. You realize, oh, <laughs> human beings are, to wow, you know, she didn't come from the factory wanting to be diligent. No, she came from the factory wanting to be lazy, right? That's, that's how our hearts always go towards if we're not allowing the Lord to, to do a work. And so Paul is saying, hey, God, he pitied us, he saved us, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He's done this amazing work in our hearts. So first of all, let's not start undoing, right? That's important. But then also, this work that Jesus is doing, it's not just a work of, okay, now you've been moved from this column, the scary column where your, your eternal destiny is bad, to this column, the column where good, things are happening, excellent. I love the word where it says he's the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus appeared, his goodness appeared, it wasn't just a thing, that it was a one-time action, right? Okay, good, now I've come, I've died for your sins, you're saved, now we're good to go. It's that washing of regeneration. That kind of sounds like a continual thing, right? It's the, I'm going to read a long definition because it was so good that I can't not. The word regenerating can mean renovation, the product of a new life consecrated to God, a radical change of mind for the better. The word is often used for restoration of a thing to a pristine state or it's renovation or a renewal or even talking about restoration of life after death. So this idea when Paul says, hey, we used to be this way, but then God saved us. And he didn't just save us. He started totally changing who we are by God's grace, right? Because we all know if it wasn't God's grace, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I've tried totally changing who I am a number of times, right? And uh, it's really hard. And then I stopped. So I can't do it, right? It's got to be the Lord's grace. And it's a miraculous thing that happens by the Holy Spirit where he totally changes us. The only other place that I can find in the New Testament, where it uses that Greek word regeneration, is where Jesus is describing the millennial kingdom to his disciples. He says, hey, in, in the regeneration, the, we, it gets translated in the new world or in the new kingdom, but the literal word is in the regeneration, I'm going to sit on my throne and you guys are going to sit on thrones and I'm going to remake the earth and there's going to be a new, it's all going to be new and perfect the way I want it and that's how it's going to be awesome. That's the same word. So look at how Paul is saying, hey, the Lord is going to start this work in you and he's going to regenerate you and you're going to be totally different. And then you're going to be doing all the things that I want you to do for my kingdom, all these good works I've got for you. And that process that started here with your mess, that's going to go all the way until I totally make the whole world. Same, it's the same thing I'm going to do. I'm going to roll the heavens up like a scroll and make them all new. And that's what I want to do in your life and in your heart. I want to take all the stuff that's this way and I just want to totally change it and make it just how I wanted it to be. That's, that's super encouraging, right? Because that doesn't feel always like it's happening every moment of the day. But this is what it says, right? And we always say here, what, what does it say, though, right? If I don't feel like that's happening, that's all right. 
But if that's what the Lord has said is happening, if I've trusted him, if his grace has covered me, then I need to trust by faith sometimes that that's what he's doing, even if it seems difficult to me. So he's, God is doing this work in us. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, there's that word, of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we're in Jesus, we should all be able to see some areas in our lives. And I would encourage you, don't look at this always as a a week-to-week thing, right? Or a month-to-month thing even. Or sometimes maybe this year is different from last year, but look way back in your life. And maybe that's different lengths for different people, right? But look way back in your life and see, hey, remember way back there where I was more in the verse 3? How were things back then? Do a little checkup and say, how, how was that? How did that feel? How was my life going? And then you look at your life now and say, Lord, what has changed? Is there things in my life that I can say, hey, we all once were, but now <laughs> the Lord's done something different. And I, there are encouraging things that the Lord does when you do that, right? Because if we're looking week to week, <laughs> hey, last week I once was, but now, oh, I'm worse. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. And we need to get up, keep our eyes on what the Lord's doing over the long term, right? The Lord is doing a long-term work, and he's very patient. And there are times when it can be discouraging. But when you keep your eyes on what the Lord's doing, and you look back and you think, wow, I used to really struggle with that. And that's just, I don't know when it happened, but the Lord just changed that in me. That doesn't bother me anymore. How did that happen? That's regeneration. That's the Holy Spirit doing something that you couldn't have done in your heart to change you, to make you different, right? You can change your behavior for a little bit, about a week for me usually. It's about as long as that lasts. But the Holy Spirit can change who you are, can renew your mind like Romans talks about. And this process, it's important to remember this thing that's happening. All people everywhere are either going towards verse 3 or going towards the rest of this little section here, right? So that's what's happening in everybody's heart all the time. Either the enemy is pulling us towards, right, in in the world when you're not saved, you you haven't been regenerated, you're being pulled towards verse 3, right? The enemy is trying to fill your life with as much of this stuff, the foolishness, the, the slavery, right, to sin. You've ever been, maybe you can remember what that was like, right, when you just had a sin where it was like, I'm just checking in for work now. I don't even want to be here, but I guess I have to, you know, and, and that's how sin, the enemy wants sin to be in our lives. Or the Lord is doing a work in us and all the rest of the verses, verse four through seven, are what we're seeing in our life. That's what the world is, right? We know as Christians that the world isn't these little problems that don't, eh, this is just a problem. It doesn't really have a lot to do with spiritual things. It's just a thing I need to take care of. That's not what the New Testament talks about. The New Testament shows us that every single thing that's going on in our lives, the Lord is going to use it as an opportunity either to make us more like Jesus, or sometimes we'll use it as an opportunity to make us less like Jesus, right? And so it's important that we see everything as one of those opportunities. The Lord is using all these things that happen that sometimes seem like, Lord, this is a random thing. I don't know why this happened. The Lord knows, and he knows he's using it to continue this process of making you more like Jesus. And that's why... In verse 7, it says, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's super important, right? Because sometimes we get caught, we were talking about this, I think, last week. We get caught in this level right here of, wow, this is what's happening now. And it doesn't feel like anything is changing in my life. And I don't see anything changing out in the world. And, and we struggle with these earthly discouragements and things that just can really, they can weigh on us. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I don't have to remind you guys of anything, but we're in a really discouraging time right now in some ways. We look out and see what's going on in the, in, in the world, and we say, wow, this has been a hard, 
half a, oh, it's only half a year, right? Like, it's been difficult. And if we get our eyes on that and we don't remember, hey, what's the hope that the Lord's given us? Is it, well, hang in there, kid. Like, it'll be fine. No, no, no. The hope of the Lord is eternal life. You're going to remake me and then you're going to remake everything and I'm going to get to be with you forever. That's a pretty good hope, right? And if you have that hope and you keep your eyes on that kind of perspective, I've found that it changes the way that you do things here and now, right? If I'm thinking about a problem in my life, right? Let's say it's a problem that's maybe bringing out some of those verse three type behaviors in my life, right? This thing happens and when it happens, I just get so mad and then I just act this way and you know, this is what's going on. When I look at that problem and I say, okay, but what's the Lord doing here? Not just this thing that's irritating me, but what is God doing right now? What, is, what does he think about this problem? Maybe it is a sinful thing. Maybe I'm being sinned against. Okay, but how would the Lord have me handle that? What, what does the Lord want to do in this moment that's going to totally change what happens in the next 20 years in this place? What would the Lord want to see happen? When I zoom out like that, first of all, it takes the eyes off of me, right, and how upset I am and how dare this person do whatever, right, or, or whatever the situation is. So now I'm not looking at me anymore. I'm looking at Jesus, which is always important. But then what you'll find is because of the hope that God has given me, and I, I actually have a hope that this could change. And then the Holy Spirit gives me a, a thing to do. He says, hey, what if you did this instead of that way that you wanted to respond? And I'll say, okay, Lord, that's going to be really hard. And he says, I know, but I'm going to help you. And so then you, you take that step of faith and you say, hey, maybe if I obeyed the Lord here, maybe something would change. Maybe if I did what the Lord asked me to do in faith, maybe things would be different instead of just the same way that I'm discouraged about. And you'll see the Lord actually undoing some of the work, maybe even that you used to do, right? This is, maybe this is a situation that you got yourself into. You know, we've had those where it's like, yes, Lord, I, I could pray for this thing, this accident, but this is a thing I did on purpose. And the Lord says, yeah, but I still want to regenerate it. I still want to do that, right? And so the hope of eternal life is super important, not just as a, you know, how Christians we get accused of, oh yeah, that's right, you're just checked out because you're hoping that, you know, someday by and by everything's going to get better. No, no, that changes pretty much everything. If I believe that this isn't everything, then even the way I act here is different because I realize, hey, the Lord's doing something that's beyond just kind of what things look like right now. So it changes the way we approach our lives and the way we approach problems. As a believer, we never want to just be approaching problems from a verse three kind of mindset, right? Well, there's a problem. We'll figure it out. You know, I'll get angry at it. I'll hit it real hard with a tool. You know, that's my way of approaching things, right? Ah, we'll figure it out. I'll get angrier. Oh yeah, I'll get, I'll fly into a passion. I'll just obsess about it and I'll worry about it, and that's how I'll fix it. That's that's how the enemy wants us to handle earthly problems. Even the Lord has a different way that He wants us to deal with these things, and that's really important because we need to make sure as we approach good works, right? We're kind of taking a long time to build up to the verse eight part, the good works part. And there, that's a reason for that. We want to approach the good things God wants us to do out of grace, not out of our flesh, out of our heart, out of our anger or worry or fear or anything that we want to do. It's all going to come from grace. That's how the Lord's going to do these things in our lives and the lives of other people. So now we get to the fun part, to verse eight. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so we've had all this kind of buildup, right? You know, Paul seemed to like to talk a little bit. That's probably why I think he's cool. Um, but Paul, Paul really likes to, he lays out things. You read Romans and you're like, okay, man, like, 
spent a lot of chapters getting to the good stuff, right? But of course, it's all amazing. But he, he really liked to lay things out very, he would take his time and he'd talk a, a good amount about things. So he spent his time kind of introducing us to, okay, we all used to act this way, but we can't keep acting that way because if we do, it's going to put a barrier between us and what the Lord wants us to do. So we can't do that. Well, how are we not going to do that? Well, the Lord is going to change us. He's going to do this work by his grace. Okay, so what do you want us to do? All right, so great. The Lord's done this work in our hearts. Now what? And in verse 8, Paul says, okay, the, the result of this regenerating work of grace should be, you should be zealous for good works. I like that word zealous because it's an old word and we need old words sometimes. Zealous, right? This idea of you're just, that's what you're about, right? You know, what is he about? Oh, he just is really excited about good works, man. That's, that's his deal. That's all he wants to talk about is what, what the Lord wants to do through him. And that's, I don't know, it's almost like sometimes you think of almost like kind of almost an obsessive kind of ability like where hey, he doesn't really want to talk about this other stuff that we're into he just is about good works is his thing and paul says that's that one of the attitudes that should be produced by the grace of god and so i think that's why paul spent all that time talking about grace because you see how if if we're doing this rightly are grace and good works fighting here no because paul says hey the grace of god is going to produce zealousness for good works right not your flesh and how angry you are about everybody else doing it wrong not i'm really afraid of what would happen if i didn't do it right so i better do it right but just know god gave me god did this amazing work in my heart and now all i want to think about is what i can do for god i don't know when that happened but that's just how it is now i just that's my constant thought of my mind is what does the lord want me to do what does he have me about how would he have me spend my time it's a work of grace and if you look kind of literally at verse 8 there's almost this idea when he says, be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's almost saying this kind of, this is just me paraphrasing, but it's almost like he's saying, hey, I want you to think carefully about how to set all of these good works in order and then carefully guard them so that nothing would kind of get in the way of them. That's almost the, the, the wording that he's using. Um, kind of the, the thing that came to mind as I was studying and reading um, I don't know about all the rest of you, but we were all shut up for a really long time. We couldn't go out of the house, but I could go on my porch. So I had like a little pot that was filled with dirt and everybody on the internet apparently is having amazing luck gardening. So I said, I can do it too. Uh, I cannot, but <laughs> I got four sunflowers. I was super excited about that, right? So every, listen, it's a start. Next year we'll do better. It's a start. So I got started and, and you know, if you're not, if you haven't done a lot of gardening, gardening is not a like, boom, I gardened. That's not how it works, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. It takes time. It takes effort. And you get this kind of, you start to get this really protective thing where you're like, hey, I see you, squirrel. Get, get away from my sunflowers, right? Like you're, you're kind of out there and I'm watering them and I'm kind of watching them. And then I go back inside and then I'm thinking, well, maybe if I moved it out of the sun, it would be better. Or I don't know, is that, is that a worm on it? Like you, you're thinking about it and you're paying attention to it. It doesn't work if you just kind of say, well, there's some seeds, there's some water. You figure it out. It takes a little bit of attention and time. And that idea of like tending a garden is kind of a helpful way to think about the, this idea of good works. And in fact, it's an illustration that sometimes Jesus uses a lot, right? When you think about Jesus, he would say, hey, you want to abide in the vine. And he talks about a vine dresser who's kind of growing. It's an it's a illustration that comes up a lot when Jesus is talking about these things. So it's, it's a good enough one for us to use. So let's think about it that way, right? If we have these good works that God wants us to do, then we're, and it says we're zealous for them, we're thinking about them, it's a thing that actually occupies a lot of our time and our attention. Okay, so let's look at that kind of garden in our lives and say, okay, step one, did I plant anything? 
right? Because it's not enough to just say, okay, good works, they're very important. So I'm going to go out back and I'm going to look at that dirt patch. And I'm going to say, all right, start growing and I'm going to go back inside. Well, no, I have to plant something. And planting, you know, when you think about it, planting something, it takes some faith, right? Because you're trusting, you're like, hey, I'm going to put some effort in and maybe something's going to happen. I hope, I hope so, right? I hope nothing bad, and, and maybe the faith is disappointed sometimes because it's faith that you placed in your bad soil and, and the bad seeds you have or whatever, but the Bible says that our hope in the Lord is not going to disappoint. But it does take a little bit of faith to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something that's really I'm not comfortable with, and I'm going to bless that person that I don't really like, and I'm going to hope that maybe that's going to turn out in some good way because you said that was what I was supposed to do. I don't feel like it right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And then I might see no results. Right? Because that's kind of how gardening works too, is you plant something and then you come out the next day and there, we did it. No, you plant something and the next day it's still dirt. You say, all right, did that work? I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing it. And you keep doing the same things over and over out of obedience just because I, it says on the thing, this is what I'm supposed to do. And slowly you start to see this result. And that's how these kinds of good works are. It's not a thing where we're going to do it in one day and all of a sudden everything's going to, oh, it's flourishing. Wonderful. I did it. It's a thing of, of obedience and submission to what the Lord is asking us to do. And so we say, okay, well, have I planted anything, right? What am, I, what am I doing for the Lord? And I want to be really careful because when we start to talk about these things, it's so easy. My pastor back in Lynchburg used to say, there's a couple sermons you can preach that will make people feel bad without even trying. He said, you, you want to make people feel bad? Tell them they should pray more. Everybody knows that, right? We all feel like we need to pray more. He said, you want to make people feel bad? Tell them they should give more. Like, yeah, okay, I probably could give more, I guess, right? Like, yeah, you, you, so it's not how this is being presented to us, so I don't want to present that to us that way either. That would not be right for me to stand here and say, listen, what are you all doing for the Lord? Do some more, right? That's, that's the flesh, right? You're saying, hey, work harder, and then maybe God will be happy with you. That's not what we're seeing here, right? No, no, it's this sense of, hey, because of all these things that Jesus has done for me, I, I'm just filled with this desire to do whatever he's asking me to do. And so if he's asking me to do this little small thing, all right, it's done. What's next, Lord? And he says, well, now I'll do this thing. Okay, I did that. What's next, Lord, right? Rather than kind of where my heart can be where I say, okay, this is going to be the long period where I make a plan of the garden and I kind of think about it. <laughs> and then this is going to be the long period where I look out at the garden and I say, well, it would be really hard to do all that work, so we're going to wait until next week, right? That's, how we can, that's what we want to be careful of, right? Just as it, it could be just, you know, when we talk about good works, this thing comes up in our heart where we say, okay, that sounds like legalism. Let's avoid that. Well, yeah. If I was so obsessed in my garden with fruit that I was out every day measuring the fruit and worrying about the fruit and thinking about the fruit and trying to make the fruit grow, that's what legalism is. It's obsessing over your own life to the point where you're not even allowing the Lord to work. You're thinking about how you can make these things happen. Or legalism can get even worse. It's going into your neighbor's garden and measuring his fruit and seeing if he's doing it right, right? <laughs> Guilty. Been, been done that sometimes. So here's the thing. We don't want to do that, right? But here's what legalism isn't. Paying attention to what the Lord wants to do in our lives and working for it and stirring up that zealousness in our heart, that's not what the Bible calls legalism. In fact, sometimes just not planting anything, right? Saying, well, yeah, I know works are kind of important, but that, that, sounds, that doesn't sound like grace. I'm just going to sit over here and relax in God's grace. That's not necessarily God's grace. Sometimes that's just a lack of zeal in our hearts. Right? Sometimes that's just laziness. There's that word that I don't like. Right? It's just, hey, well, I, that sounds hard, so that can't be grace. No. Paul's saying, hey, God's grace was given to you so you could do hard things. Things that there's no way you could do them if you tried them on your own. God's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit, so now you can do them. So you're going to look at that situation that before you would say, yeah, literally, 
have no idea what, what's going to happen here. This seems a mess. Wow, let's, let's avoid that. And now you're going to come to it with the eyes of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to say, I think God wants to do this. And I don't see any evidence for that right now, but I'm going to step out and, and believe that this is what the Lord wants to do and act in obedience to that, and let's see what the Lord's going to do. Right? And you know, maybe you've had those situations in your heart where you've seen something that just either you made it a mess or somebody else made it a mess, and you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, this is just a mess, Lord. Like, like you're telling the Lord something, right? Lord, I don't know if you're aware. This is a mess. And the Lord says, I know. Here's what I want to do. And you say, no, Lord, that, because it's a mess. That can't happen. And the Lord says, yeah. And not only that, but I want you to act as if that's going to happen and begin working towards that right now. That's the kind of good works that we're to desire, to see the Lord do impossible things through our lives. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's not only us focusing on these things, but hey, it's okay sometimes to encourage each other, to see each other and say, hey, how, how's that going? How, to, you know, you look, not in a legalistic way, right? But in an encouragement way, if you see somebody else's campfire and it's getting a little low and you poke it a little bit with a stick and you say, hey, let's stir up that zeal a little bit. Let's put some wood on that. Let's encourage them. You know, if you, this is super important in ministry, right? If you see somebody and they're doing something in ministry and you know they're outside of their comfort zone a little bit, they've stepped out there, what's the worst thing that you could do? would be to like criticize them for what they're doing, right? Why? Well, because you don't know, but that's really difficult for them to do maybe. You know, we've all been in that position where we try something and it doesn't feel like we can do it. And then you, somebody comes along and they say, hey, I, I noticed that you were doing that. That's awesome. Way to go. And you're just like, I made my whole month, right? That encouragement that the Lord does, that's how we're to be for each other. When we see somebody stepping out in the Lord, rather than saying, well, I would have done it differently. We say, hey, I noticed that the Lord's using you in that way. That's awesome. That's, that's so encouraging. Keep on going with that. And then you wait, and then maybe you see that the Lord gives you an opportunity to say, hey, I see you're still doing that thing for the Lord. That's great. Can I just suggest that you do try adding this? And you encourage them. We're building each other up, right? Because the goal is that there be more love and good works, not that there be perfect works, which is kind of important, right? If you're a perfectionist, that can be a struggle, but that's how the Lord, right? By definition, the Lord is using imperfect people, so he apparently knows that. He thinks it's okay. I don't understand that, but that's how the Lord works. So if he's going to use imperfect people, then we need to be okay with, hey, the Lord's going to be doing things, and he's going to be pushing us outside of our comfort zone a little, and we're supposed to be encouraging each other to step out a little bit past where it feels comfortable to do what the Lord wants us to do. So just an encouragement and maybe this is just a weird thing that I have in my head and you don't deal with this problem. I hope so. But don't ever feel like it's wrong to put the same effort and joy and passion and thought and zeal into the work that the Lord has you to do that you would into any of your other hobbies or your work life or any of the other things you do. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we get caught in this idea that like, well, this is a spiritual thing, so I can't get really excited about it, right? I just have to kind of approach it with this very solemn kind of sad face, and we will now solemnly minister. And that's not how the Lord's, right? The Lord made this whole world full of fun things that he allows you to do that are hobbies and enjoyments and just wonderful things, and they're great. And when we do them, we feel happy and we feel engaged and we think about them a lot, right? Well, I don't see why the Lord wouldn't want good works to be that way. In fact, when I read what Paul's saying, Paul's saying, that's especially how good work should be. And if it's not, right, if we approach a good work and we kind of feel, oh, well, this isn't quite as fun as this other thing, then Paul says, hey, 
Stir up that zeal. Ask the Lord to give you that heart that when you get ready to minister, you're like, this is my favorite thing. I'm so excited about this. I spent all of last week planning out and writing down and thinking about how we were going to do this. That's that heart that we want to have. And I think sometimes in my life I've noticed that I can be redirecting towards a hobby or a, a work thing or whatever a lot of passion that when finally the Lord, you know, takes it and says, can I have this? And I say, okay, Lord, you can have this. And he finally applies it to good works. I realize, oh, that's what I, that's what that was for, right? I thought I was going to take this skill that I had or this enjoyment or this thought I had, and I was going to put it towards this thing. And I was like, why isn't this working? Why doesn't this feel fulfilling? Why doesn't, why isn't this not working out the way I wanted to? And the Lord says, hey, can we put this over here? And I do. And I'm like, oh, that was all for that. The Lord was preparing me all this time so I could do this thing instead of all these other things I was doing. And that happens a lot. So always be, be aware, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, that a lot of times the Lord is going to use all of the things that he already made about you, right? Your personality and your enjoyments and your, your, the things that are unique about you. And he wants to use those in ministry. You don't have to kind of set those aside and just be a, a personality-less kind of robot to minister. The Lord made you that way, so he wants to use those things and perfect them and through his grace kind of prepare them for ministry. Just an encouragement for that. Now, practically, right? So we're saying, okay, we're ready. What, what should I do, right? Okay, I have the garden plot and I've chased away all the squirrels and I've gotten rid of the distractions and I've got some, now what do you want me to do? Um, there's a couple of things practically I can think of. I think one of the best lists I've ever seen is if you read Titus chapter 2, you flip back a little bit. Titus 2 is filled with, it's kind of he's addressing, Paul's addressing all these different parts of the church and saying, hey, if you're a younger woman, here's some things you could be doing. If you're a younger guy, hey, be doing these things. If you're an older guy, be doing this. Like he kind of goes through a list of different, different stages of your life, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, and says, here's some things to be thinking about. But I think... Honestly, for me, when I come to something like this, most of the work is in allowing the Lord's grace to work, is allowing the Lord to take my focus back to what he wants me to do, to point me towards the things he wants. And then I think most of us sometimes, we already know what the Lord would have us do. Isn't that true? Have you ever come in prayer to the Lord and you've, you've had this long period of the Lord saying, hey, I'd, I'd like you to do this. And you say, okay, we'll think about it. Or the Lord says, hey, I'd like you to do this. And you say, oh, that can't be the Lord. Ooh, we're going to ignore that, right? And then finally, after a really long time, you get to this place where you're like, okay, Lord, all right, I'll do that thing. And then you step out, and the first time you step out, the Lord blesses it, and he, he encourages you, and it just, you're like, wow, I should have done this a long time ago, right? I think a lot of times, if, if we were to honestly go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, and I would just like you to tell me what you want me to do. I think the Lord could fill that time pretty easy for us, right? If we were to come with an open heart, which is difficult sometimes, because I promise you, the Lord's going to fill that. If you say, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm ready and submitted. Could you just tell me what you want me to be doing? He'll find some things. And that can be a little scary because I, I bet they weren't always the things you were thinking of, right? Or maybe it was the thing you're like, don't tell me to do this. And the Lord says, hey, come on, you can do it, right? And encourages you. So always seek the Lord first, right? But then the second thing I would encourage us to is, hey, if we're wondering, okay, what good work does the Lord have me to do? It's always a good thing to start with the things that you can see right in front of you that the Lord has you called to. Don't get distracted with, okay, I think the Lord is calling me to sell everything and move to Nepal, but that's really scary, so I'm not going to do it for 20 years, so let's kind of prepare for, you see what happens right now? We're kind of caught in this distraction of, wow, this seems too big and scary, and so it gets a little bit intimidating, right? Well, 
Yes, could you be called to go sell everything and move to Nepal? I'm not gonna get in between you and the Lord. If that's what you're supposed to do, go ahead. I'll encourage you, right? But I know that in the meantime, God has put you in a family, right? Of people that God knew, that wasn't an accident. God put you there for a reason, right? As much as we can sometimes say, Lord, was there a mistake? Was there a, a switcheroo that happened here? No, the Lord put you in a family, right? He puts you with, with people that he loves, that he has a desire to see things change in their heart. If they're not saved, that's a desire that the Lord has. The Lord says, I put you there to minister to them, to do good works to them, to love them even though they're not lovable, right? To show them what Jesus is like even when they don't want to see that. If they are saved, then the Bible is filled with instruction on, hey, here's how we're supposed to treat each other. Here's how we're supposed to behave to each other. Here's how we're supposed to encourage each other and point each other to the Lord and help each other to be experiencing all this grace that the Lord has for us, right? So that's a pretty easy one is just looking around, right? Maybe even right next to you right now and saying, oh, okay, that's a good work. You know, husbands, your wife is one of the chief good works that the Lord has for you to do. Wives, same thing with your husband. Your kids are one of one of the chief good works that the Lord has for you in, in the world is, is ministering to them in any way possible. And I totally understand when I say that, that for a lot of people, that may be a more difficult situation, right? I'm not trying to be cavalier about that and say, yeah, come on, just go, go back to your wonderful situation and make it wonderful. I, especially when we're in a difficult place is when we need the grace of the Lord, right? If we're in a place where you look at that relationship or that person and you say, there is no way that the Lord is going to make this better. That's the number one time where we need to be asking the Lord for grace because there isn't a way in our own flesh, right? Relationships are hard and people are difficult and you came to the Lord and it took a long time, right? And the Lord did a lot of stuff in you. So with another person, it's going to be the same way. But the, God's grace is sufficient for those things, right? It was sufficient for us to be changed from verse 3 to wherever we are in the Lord right now. It's going to be sufficient for that situation that you're thinking about right now. So that's another practical thing is, hey, just focus on what the Lord has right in front of you. On the thing that you're, you're thinking about right now and saying, okay, maybe that's what, you've got that little feeling from the Lord. The Lord says, how about this thing? Start there. Don't even make, you know, for me, if I make a list of five things, I've already distracted myself. Start with thing number one and obey. And then you'll, the Lord will, the Holy Spirit will begin to work in your heart and you'll get to have what we used to call um, ministry eyes. Ministry eyes is where you look, you go into a situation and the Holy Spirit lets you kind of scan the room and the Holy Spirit says, I want this and this done. And you kind of go and you obey. And the Lord says, now I think this could happen. And you start to see around you the things that the Lord wants you to do. It's almost like kind of good works vision. You know what I mean? Where you, 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 the Lord is showing you what he wants to do through you. And that happens through obedience. So that's the encouragement. And then Paul's going to switch back in verse 9. He's going to switch back to kind of a little bit of warnings about, okay, this is what we're to be about. This is literally, Paul says, hey, you were saved to do this. You were saved for good works. The rest of your life is now going to be concentrated on, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what, how would you like to order my life? And then he's going to remind us, hey, here are some things that could keep our focus away from that. Let's avoid those, right? If my focus from the Lord is to be on using, you know, allowing his grace to work through me, I don't want to do anything like in the beginning. I don't want to do anything that could be a barrier to that. Verse 9, he says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So if our focus right, is going to be on ministering to the Lord and, and doing what he asked us to do, then 
needless debates, right? Things where, and this, I think a lot of times, Paul's pretty clear, he's not talking necessarily even about needless debates with an outsider. I think we all should, if you're not aware, I will encourage you. Needless debates with an outsider is pretty much the number one thing that we're going to want to avoid, right? We have to carry the gospel to people. If we're getting caught up in an argument about some other thing, we're already not doing, doing well. The Lord wants us to avoid that. What Paul's specifically talking about is needless debates amongst each other, right? Taking a thing that is not the gospel once for all delivered to the saints and fighting with another saint about it is, of course, going to distract from the good things the Lord wants us to do, right? If we're so busy arguing about, and this can be a, a silly thing, I'll go ahead and say, right? Something, you know, that you'll, you'll see up on some Facebook page of dumb things that a church has split over or whatever, right? It can be that, and it can go all, all the way up to things that are very important. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to diminish them. They're very good to think about, to pray through, to say, hey, this is how I feel the Lord calling me to but they're not things that we should argue and, and cause pain within the body over because we're all here to be doing the works that the Lord wants us to do. Um, it's very easy for you or for us to look at somebody else who's trying to serve the Lord, trying to do the good works that the Lord wants them to do, and to see the problems with what they're doing, right? It's very easy to be a church critic. My, my day job, when I you know go with my dad, to, to serve in overseas and look at churches in Israel and try to encourage them in any way that we can, we have to be so careful because basically our day job is to come into churches and see how could we help you. And so it's so easy to just become this critic of saying, well, that's a mess. Man, that's real bad. Well, they're doing that wrong, right? And you get this heart of like, man, if only everybody would listen to me, we could fix this stuff. That is not a heart of zealousness for good works. That's a heart of, of critique, of criticism. And, and it can it's so easy to think sometimes that those two things are the same, especially as the Lord calls you into more and more ministry or more and more good works to, to see, well, I'm doing it this way. Why don't you do it like me? Now, sometimes there's a genuine problem that's going on, and it's okay. Like Paul says, hey, approach them once. Approach them twice. That's all right. Go to them and say, brother or sister, like, I have a biblical thing that I would like to discuss with you, right? Not my opinion, but I see in the word that this way you're approaching this is not godly, and let's talk about that. That's all right. There's nothing the matter with that. But it's a lot harder to do the things that the Lord is asking you to do than it is to criticize other people's doing. And I, I want to encourage us, let's never be found the ones who are kind of on the sidelines of the game pointing out how, the, well, the quarterback could have maybe dropped back an extra step. And Yeah, I, I don't know that the Lord loves that heart, right? I have seen so many times in my life how God has blessed somebody who's standing next to me doing the work while I criticize, and I was right about the thing they were doing wrong, right? Or at least I think I was. But I'm pretty sure, biblically, I was like, oh, Lord, they're not doing this right, they're not doing that right. And the Lord says, I know, but they're doing. So I'm going to bless them with my Holy Spirit because they're doing, they need it. You don't need the Holy Spirit to kind of tell them what they're doing wrong. That's easy. I can do that, right? But the actual work that the Lord has to do, that requires the, the grace of God and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So getting caught up in something that, you know, wrangling over these things is not, it doesn't lead to the things that the Lord wants us to do through us. And Paul even says that a person who is given to creating these problems and fights, it's not just, well, you know, that's that guy. Paul says that's a, he uses the word kind of warped. It's almost this sense of perversion, which perversion just means you're taking a thing that God made and you're ruining it, right? You're turning it into something else. You're bending it up into what you want to do with it, not submitting to how the Lord wants you to use it. And it's the same thing. They're, they're twisting 
the good things they could be doing with their mind and their time and their passion and their energy, and they're pointing it all at something that is not how God wants us to be. God doesn't want us to be taking all of our intensity and our time and our mental focus and pointing it towards, let's get on the internet and see who's wrong today, right? Or, or let's, let's look at that church in town and tell them what, how they should be more like our church. God says, I've got good works that are sitting here that need doing, and they need all of your attention and your energy and your passion and your, your zeal, right? Don't take all that zeal and waste it on attacking somebody else in my church or or just kind of sitting and watching somebody else and saying well you know that's one way i suppose right because that becomes paul says their, their persistence if you persist in that eventually it's going to lead to you missing out on the good thing the lord wanted which is all of us in fellowship together doing what the lord wants us to do going back in uh titus even chapter one paul was correcting the same thing he says there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision party this was Judaizers who would come into the church and say, well, that's nice that you love Jesus and you think that's great, but here's these other rules that you need to do first to be in right standing with God. And Paul had some pretty surprisingly strong words for those people if you read in, in his letters. He says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They profess to know God, this is jumping down to verse 16, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So see, when we, when we, when we begin this work of, okay, what I'm, my job is going to be to correct all the other wrong people, it's actually making it impossible for us to do the things the Lord wants us to do, the good works that God is calling us to. And Paul calls out specifically, he says, this is a problem because it ruins you for doing good works and it, it stumbles other people. 2 Timothy 2.14 says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, which is such a, a good reminder that when we do that, when people see us in the church striving about words, what that causes, they look at that and say, why would I want to be a part of that? I already have a club that I go to where people yell about stuff. <laughs> it's, I'm okay, thanks, right? But when they see us joining together in fellowship to do good works, even with people that we don't 100% agree with, right? I don't know, man. I would kind of do it this way. Can we kind of meet in the middle and try and do it? Because we both love the Lord, and that's, that's enough, right? That's the attitude that we should have. And obviously, I... <laughs> We're not talking here about doctrinal compromise, right? On um, you know, if you can find it in in the New Testament and the Old Testament and the Nicene Creed and and what we all know, we're called to to serve Jesus. Then okay, that's okay to divide over. But if it's a question of well, I go to a church that has this name on it and you go to a church that has that name on it, that's a division about words. And I know that the Lord doesn't want us to be spending our time and effort in those things when there's so much work, <laughs> you know, that He has us to do. And the way that we deal with this, this is an important reminder for my heart and for your heart and our heart. The way that we deal with this is to just refuse the, the war with people, right? Not to engage is the way the Lord has called us to, especially with people who are given over to these things. As a, as a young man who has been given over to these things in my past where I struggled as a younger person with, well, the most important thing is that I yell about museum docents about the age of rock layers. Don't talk about it. I'll tell you the story later. It's sad. Um, I have been in that place before. And the best way, the way that the Lord used other people in my life was not to come and argue with me about what I was doing wrong. It was to say, hey, let me show you a more excellent way. 
right? Like, like what people would say in the New Testament, hey, let me, let me tell you about God's grace. Let me encourage you in this. And once I was captured by the Lord's heart, once the Lord was doing that work of grace within me, I didn't want to fight about things anymore. That really wasn't <laughs> what I was excited about. The Lord did that work inside. So fighting with these kinds of people to convince them differently is typically not the way the Lord wants us to address that. Just an encouragement because it can sometimes be a little bit tempting. Verse 12 through 15 to kind of bring us to a close here. This is the conclusion of the entire letter. And usually it's always interesting to see that Paul just has kind of personal business. It reminds us that these are written by a person. This isn't something that someone made up, right? Because if someone made up a religious document, I don't think I'd include personal errands in it uh, because you just wouldn't think to do that. So it's a good reminder that this is a real person that is writing this. Verse 12 says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So again, pretty standard uh, kind of exit to one of the letters. He's kind of wrapping it up saying, hey, this guy's coming over here. Remember back then there was no hey, I just texted you, he's at the airport, so pick him up. Like, you were sending a letter to kind of prepare the way for somebody because this was your one chance to get news to somebody. So they kind of spent a lot of time talking about travel plans and things like that. But even hidden in this little end of the letter, there's this reminder that the reason we're working hard even, think about that, he's saying, hey, I want you guys to work hard at your job so that you can always have something to give to people which is a very un-American way to look at work, I'll just be honest, right? That's not the way we think about things sometimes in our culture. We think about, well, I'm gonna work hard so I can stack this up and then I'll get this percent interest on it and then in 60 years, I'll have lots of money. That's how I think about money and how sometimes we can, you know? But the way that Paul looked at things is he said, hey, I want you guys to work hard so that you can be fruitful, so that when there's an urgent need, you can do that good work of providing for it within, within the body. And I'm not, Going, I'm not going to try and make, again, a blanket statement or, or some sort of rebuke, but as I was looking through this, I was so interested to see, hey, you know when you read in the Bible and we're talking about money, a lot of times when the Bible's talking about money, it's talking about how it wants you to give money to people. Don't know what to do with that. It's just, it's just interesting to see. <laughs> Actually, I do know what to do with it. Um, but it's, it's so interesting to see that that's how God sees all, let's broaden it. It's not just money. Everything that we have, the Lord looks at those resources and says, okay, I'm going to deposit this with you, and it's going to wait there until I see an opportunity to deploy it for a good work that I want to do. And then I'm going to call on you and say, hey, here, remember that thing I gave you? It's ready to, to be deployed now. <laughs> I prepared it with you over here, and now I want it to be sent out over here. And the Lord does that not just with our money. Think about, I mean, it, it is absolutely true with our money, but think about all the other things that the Lord's given you. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's easy sometimes for us to just stop with, well, yeah, money, right? So I, I've tithed, and, and there we go, which is good. I mean, praise the Lord. That's, it's difficult <laughs> for us to do that, right? It's a, it's a step of faith to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you this. And I'm trusting that this is still going to be okay, you know. And if you're a numbers person, it can be a challenge to your faith. So it's a very good work, of course, to do. And the Lord, is, Lord encourages us to do that. But think about other things that the Lord gives you, like your time or your home. That's a really hard one, especially now because we don't actually get to practice that always the way we would like to. But think about your, your house, the actual physical place the Lord has given you. Or maybe the knowledge and the experience that the Lord has blessed you with, right? The, the, all the things you've learned in the Word or in walking with the Lord, 
Um, think about even your possessions, right? The stuff you have, with all the things you've filled your home with. All of those things, right? We know scripturally that all came from the Lord. That wasn't me that worked real hard and, and did that. And as soon as I start to think about that, the Lord's gracious to remind me that, no, I gave this to you and I can take it away, <laughs> right? Um, and what would the Lord have, what would be the good work that the Lord would have us to do with that? So many times in my heart, there can be this kind of, I don't say it out loud because it would sound so bad if I said it out loud, but there can be this selfishness in our hearts of, yes, the Lord has blessed me with all these things for me to enjoy, which is true. That's not wrong or bad. It's just not complete, right? The completion of what the Lord wants to do with all these blessings you've given to us is to see, okay, how can I use my home to bless that person? How can I use this car that the Lord's given me in some way to do a good work in this person's life that could provide for them to experience the Lord's grace? What could I do with this thing that I bought that I spent a lot of money on that I'd really like to take care of and that I'm probably the only guy who knows how to take care of it since it's my lawnmower and, and I know how to handle it, right? How could I somehow use that to bless somebody else? And I just want to encourage you a lot of times when you, it can be so practical and sometimes we even overlook those things because we feel like, well, that can't be, this is talking about spiritual things. That's just loaning something to somebody. But a lot of times, I mean, have you ever had that? That's a way you start a relationship with a neighbor. That's a way you encourage somebody where you say, hey, like, and you show somebody that love that they don't always deserve, right? But you're, you're demonstrating that to them. And it can be a little bit of a trial, a little bit of a faith thing that you do. And then the Lord blesses that and uses it in some way that you might not even know in someone else's life. John 15, 8 through 12 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So John 15, which is an amazing chapter of the Bible that you go back to over and over, but I love how it's got these two things that we talked about today, and they're all in together, right? You can't pull out of that passage in John 15. Okay, just let's just talk about the abiding in Jesus' love part. That's what I want to talk about. Because right next to abiding in Jesus' love is, okay, and if as you abide in my Father, you're going to keep his commandments because he's going to make you able to do that. He's going to fill you with the love and the Holy Spirit that you need for that. And then as you abide in his commandments, your joy is going to be made full. Right? So it's not just, okay, work really hard and do these, these good works, and then that'll be good, and you'll be very grumpy and be a good work doer. Well, <laughs> I think we've, all, we've either tried that or we know somebody who's tried that. <laughs> and it usually is kind of sad, you know? It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like the life that the Lord wants for us to just be a person who's grumpy and upset and doing a lot of hard things hardly. And, you know, you see that, and you're like, man, that doesn't seem great. No, you're right. It isn't what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to abide in his love so that when he starts to do these good works through us, it actually makes our joy full. And I think we've all had that experience, right? You listen to the Lord and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do this thing that I don't, I don't feel ready to do. I'm not sure it's a great idea, but I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit is telling me I'm going to do this, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to that person about Jesus, even though, I, Lord, I watch them at work and they don't like me at all or, you know, whatever it is, right? And then you see how the Lord meets you in that moment. And all of a sudden, the Lord's doing something that you didn't know was going to happen or you couldn't have prepared for, or it was a thing that you really hoped would happen, but you didn't really want to even try because you were afraid of being disappointed or, or whatever it is. And there's a, there's a joy in that moment that I don't think you can experience in any other way, where you see the Lord do something through you and you know what you're like, you know what you were like last week, 
you know what you were like five minutes before you decided to obey the Lord in this little way. And you realize, wow, that's the Lord's grace. I don't deserve to get used in this way, but the Lord did it anyway. And then he used me to do this thing in this other person's life that they don't deserve because I know them. And look at how the Lord is doing all this. And it causes you these kinds of good works. They don't bring glory to you, right? It's not all of us say, oh, wow, look at them. They're doing this great work. It's, wow, look at, I kind of forgot about them because the Lord was doing this awesome thing and they were just kind of there. And now I'm paying attention to the Lord. That's always the goal of these things. Is it, it glorifies the Lord that he gets to use us just the way we are to do the things that, that he wants to do. Um, so I just want to encourage us that it is okay to look at these things and just to look around our lives and say, okay, Lord, here's my life. Here's the things you've given me. Here's the people I know. Here's the job I go to every day. Here's the kids that you've given me, whatever it is. Here's my little corner right, of the kingdom right now. What do you want to do with it? And put, put it in that way with the Lord. Pray about that today and, and through this week and say, okay, Lord, here's this tiny little part, right? Not the big, you know, when we start getting on this big national thing or whatever, it's so easy to get either discouraged or mad or both. Um, well, what would you like me to do right here, Lord? And I, I promise you, not only will the Lord meet us by telling us what he wants to accomplish, but he's going to provide all the things that we need to do those things through his grace.